I, I cannot say anything for for certain, but it seemed like Nike was going. It had a very year to year feel, mm-hmm. uh, not a long term investment. And Hoka, the opposite. It's a long term investment. Um, and yeah, so I have a multi year deal with Hoka, so very secure and comfortable with that. I feel like I've got a good future here, and uh, yeah, I was not getting those same feelings from Nike. What's up, fam? Welcome back to the Beer Mile Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chris, along with Adam. Adam, how are we feeling today? Uh, We're feeling better than the last podcast. My voice is still a bit hoarse, but believe me, I'm feeling almost 100%. I apologize for uh, any hoarseness throughout the the video, the interview with Ryan. So yeah, Adam's voice kind of, you know, kind of sounds like crap, so give him a break on this one. I do kind of sound like uh, the men's warehouse guy, like you're going to like the way you look. I guarantee it. Or if I, uh, I'm like one of those people with a hole in their... Uh... Yeah, I was going to say, you sound like more like a smoker to me. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> Today on the show, we have Ryan Hill. He's won three U.S. titles. He's represented Team USA in three world teams. He has a world silver medal in the indoor 3K. He recently switched from Nike Bowerman Track Club to Hoka in Northern Arizona Elite. So today we talk about his transition, what led to that decision to leave Nike and join Hoka and coach Ben Rosario. And we go a little bit into what his goals are and what he's looking forward to in 2021 and his move to Flagstaff and everything that goes along with that. Thanks to our last interviewee, uh, Chris Chavez, for his amazing answer to our uh, now famous hot dog question. Uh, We are officially retiring it. Uh, We'll be splicing in Chris's answer to it. Uh, Hope you enjoy it. Leave us a comment with a new abstract question that uh, we'll pick from the comments, or if you don't submit good ones, we'll we'll make our own up. Uh, Then that will replace it on the last gulp. Here's a reminder of what Chris's answer was to our question, is a hot dog a sandwich? It was Anthony Rizzo from the Chicago Cubs. Yeah. Once tweeted in January 2017, having a debate right now is a hot dog a sandwich. And me and my friend uh, decided to write, well, Anthony, here is the truest philosophical answer to a question that admittedly carries some ambiguity. Everything is a sandwich. By that, I mean everything has some sort of sandwich-like property, but of course, some things are more sandwich than others. For example, a Reuben would have been more sandwich-like properties than toast and peanut butter, but toast and peanut butter has more sandwich-like properties than, say, pasta. Hot dogs and tacos have sandwich-like properties, and it's not incorrect to label them as such, but it's less incorrect than labeling BLT or grilled chicken sandwich a sandwich. Likewise, An ice cream sandwich is a sandwich. It has sandwich-like properties. But you might argue that because it doesn't have bread, that's a truly defining characteristic of a sandwich. Lacking that quality makes open-faced sandwiches less of a sandwich than full sandwiches. But even open-faced sandwiches have some sandwich-like properties. And while an ice cream sandwich lacks bread, it compensates by being in the form of a sandwich. Hot dogs (laughs) don't have bread, but a bun is also made up of carbs. And a bun, which is really different than a sub-sandwich bread, which we, is what we would call a sandwich. So by the same token, tortillas and taco shells accomplish the same ends as bread. These are all properties that shape our idea of what a sandwich is. And I would recommend reading Plato's Theory of Forms, which explains how ideas make up reality. Maybe we can discuss this over sandwiches, say at Lucky's in Wrigleyville. That's definitely a sandwich. So as you just heard, 
we have to retire the hot dog sandwich question because Chris just, he won the question. I mean, it was an opinion question, but he crushed it. So I don't think we can top that going forward. So retiring that one in his name and looking to add some new ones. So leave a comment below with what you think we should add as a closing question for our guests. All right, and announcing the winners for the last episode. And if you're new here, uh, we do a giveaway every single episode for free swag from beermile.com. Uh, all you have to do is leave a comment on the YouTube version of this podcast. If you're listening to the audio only, there's a link in the description. Just leave a comment. We randomly pick a couple of people that commented on the previous episode and shout them out and send them some free swag. So the winners for the Chris Chavez episode 12 are Jeremiah Bailey and Stephen Desvernon. And hopefully I didn't butcher your name, Stephen. Apologies if I did, but hit us up in the DMs on Instagram, preferably if you can, um, Chris Robertson 10, the real Adam, or our beer mile account, the underscore beer underscore mile. Thanks for leaving a comment. We appreciate if you leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, subscribing on YouTube, commenting on YouTube, liking. It'll help us continue to bring on some great guests and grow the podcast as well. We also have the ability for you guys to leave messages on our Anchor account. So if you go to our Anchor, just go to anchor.fm forward slash beer dash mile dash media. Go leave us a voice message. Do your best impersonation of somebody. Give us like your best Boston accent. Or if you're from outside Chicago and you think we have accents, make fun of us. We'll put it on the show and we'll also give you some free swag for being the first one to leave an audio message. Yeah, it could be a question. It could just be something stupid like saying, these notes, and uh, we'll, we'll splice it in. We appreciate uh, appreciate having some some fan voice messages in there. So. so let's get into it. Our interview with Ryan Hill, now of Hoka and Northern Arizona elite under Coach Ben Rosario. We're excited to have you on, Ryan Hill. Welcome to the Beer Mile Podcast. Yo, thanks for having me. Much appreciated. Absolutely. So, how has the move to Flagstaff gone so far? It's it's actually been really crazy and, and overwhelming. Uh, I, I'm still staying at Scott Fobble's house right now, and you know, very thankful to him for letting me uh, transition here. But um, I, I'm looking for my own place, um, so I still don't even have my own place here. Kind of. Yeah, I just showed up with a backpack. Um, I'm still kind of waiting on all my Hoka gear to get here. <laughs> I haven't even met everyone on the team yet. It, it's really wild. Um, yeah, it's a little bit overwhelming, but I'm just taking it day by day. Uh, I think that's all you can do in these uh, big, big changes and big transitions. Just chip away day by day, and soon enough, it'll be uh, normal. Yeah. So, how long have you known that you were going to be moving to Flagstaff? When was when? I know it was announced recently that you joined NAS, but how long have you known about it? I would say about three weeks. Okay, so not that long. Um, yeah, really not that no, long. No, so still, yeah, I'm still coming to terms with with everything. And it was such a big decision and a, a really difficult decision that I, I agonized over. It was, it was really wearing on me, actually, about three weeks ago when it was really like, okay, I, I need to make a decision here. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like physically sick. Like, I, I did not feel good at all. But as soon as I arrived to the conclusion and felt comfortable and that this is what I needed to do, just every day that's passed since then has gotten better and better and better. And I'm now that I'm here and I'm with the guys and I've, I've met Ben and I've already done a couple of workouts and a long run. 
I feel really good about it. I'm really positive moving forward, really strong, and I'm happy about it. That's good. And I'm sure the decision was at least a little bit easier having trained in Flagstaff quite a bit in the past for, for altitude camps and everything. So I'm assuming you're pretty excited about Flagstaff as a, as a location to post up. Absolutely. I've done three month-long trips in Flagstaff before this. So I knew it was a great place to train. It's my favorite winter altitude spot because like the weather is just unbeatable here in terms of a mountain town where you can train and get the sun. You know, you get your occasional snowstorms are really nothing that bad. You can always drive maybe 25, 30 minutes away where there's no snow at all. And you, know, you can go down to Sedona, which is incredible. It's like 65 there in January. So yeah, that was a very, there, there was no uncertainty there. I knew Flagstaff was definitely the place to be. And after just one or two phone calls with Ben, Ben Rosario, the coach here, I, I felt really good about it. I had no issues there. I knew, I know that he knows what he's doing and he's really uh, excited to sink his teeth into some track work. Yeah, yeah. we definitely want to get into uh, Ben and maybe like some of the transitions between coaches, but let's talk a little bit about like the precursors to, to switching uh, coming off of 2019 with uh, that nasty Achilles injury going into 2020. I think you put up times like 738 in the 3k and uh, can't remember what the 5k was, but it was, it was fast, right? Um, yeah, I got that 5k down to 1315 and that was a huge step forward coming off an Achilles injury. Uh, yeah. Which is 10, 10 seconds off your PB. Um, so a huge year, even though, you know, not a lot of racing, uh, so talk about coming off that uh, and then transitioning. Were you mid-contract? What kind of played into ultimately your decision to go to Northern Arizona Elite uh, and from Nike to, to Hoka? Yeah, it, it seems like the last two years has just been like a perfect storm of a lot of bad things for me uh, with basically missing 2019 completely. It, it's just the lost year. I mean, and before 2019, I, I never got hurt. Like that was my thing, like Mr. Reliable. Like I'm going to be at USA's, I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be healthy. And so I had one, one Achilles injury was that wiped out the whole season. I thought, you know, it's okay. It's the last year I'll get back. And I, I did, I did get back to really good shape in 2020, but just didn't have those experiences. I think I raced four times the whole year. Um, so then we come into a situation where Nike's clearly going through some kind of budget marketing transition. There's a big change in philosophy there. And, and I don't, I'm not high enough up the chain to know what that is. Um, but from everything that I've seen, there's a change in strategy there. And it just didn't seem like I was in the long-term strategy. So it became pretty clear that I needed to seek other options. Yeah. And uh, so that's how all of the, that led to me changing groups, making a massive change in the Olympic year. Yeah. So can you give a little insight? Cause I don't think there's a whole lot of visibility into uh, how running contracts are set up. And, and obviously there, you have NDAs in place. You can't talk about a lot of it, but I'm curious if, so say you had continued with Nike, would it have been like a year to year thing? How would that have looked? And then with Hoka, is this like a multi-year agreement where you know, you're going to be um, working with them over the long term, so you can have some of more of that long-term uh, vision versus just performances in the next, you know, three, six, eight months. Yeah, I mean, sport marketing guys for these shoe companies like to be very vague because they don't they don't even know what's going to happen year to year. So I, I cannot say anything for for certain, but it seemed like Nike was going it had a very year to year feel, mm -hmm. uh, not a long term investment. And Hoka, the opposite. It's a long term investment. 
Um, yeah, so I have a multi-year deal with Hoka, so very secure and comfortable with that. I feel like I've got a good future here. And uh, yeah, I was not getting those same feelings from Nike. Got it. That makes sense. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts that you'd that or opinions that you would be willing to share around. It seems, you know, from an outsider's perspective, like there is a lot more on the brands kind of going more for the um, like the social media influence type approach. The uh, it, it's either really like performances now in, in really big performances or kind of worse performances. But if you're a big influencer, essentially, is that does that do you see that as well amongst these brands? Is that kind of a bigger part of the discussions around what are you going to do outside of just running and winning medals and all of that and help promote the brand? Not really 100% sure. I mean, the, the new Nike CEO is kind of a, a digital online guy. And it does seem like that's going to be the strategy more streamline, uh, tell a better story through social media. Um, that definitely could be part of Nike's strategy. Um, but at the end of the day, when, when you really look at the contracts, it is, it's all about performance. Um, I, th I think the, that the social media, the storytelling could be coming from a whole nother department. When you really talk about sport marketing guys who are trying to get athletes, they really just care about how good of an athlete they're going to be. That's kind of the nuts and bolts of it in my world. So I do think a lot of it comes down to performance and sort of the social media aspect is really up to the, the individual athlete to do with that what they, they wish. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so during your time at Bowerman Track Club, um, I know like a big part, a couple pieces of the, um, like the training and the racing. So especially lately, Bowerman's been kind of known for not racing super often, but really going all in on the races that you do race. And then also on the training side, really being uh, really training hard, like working your ass off, kind of like a, with that big of a pack, really kind of like a dog eat dog mentality to some extent there. So I'm curious, you know, you spent uh, seven years with Bowerman and obviously had huge success. Do you think that that really worked for you having that uh, super competitive atmosphere um, and, and not racing as much? Or do you think that you'll, you'll race more going forward more often and kind of use that as part of your training? Um, talk a little bit about how that, that training and racing philosophy worked or maybe didn't work for you. Yeah. I mean, I have just such a, a positive view on my, my time with Bowerman and my, my first seven and a half years pro it's just, it's nothing but positive feelings really. Like those, those guys and girls are like some of my best friends. Yeah. They'll, will be lifelong friends. Um, you know, the whole Bowerman team is up here in Flagstaff. Now I, I've already like gone to lunch with them, you know, seen them, you know, like we're still friends and they've all got my back. So that that's awesome moving forward. Um, but in, in terms of athletics, I, I feel like under Jerry's system, and as you said, it's kind of the dog eat dog, the, we, we very much lead from the front, you know, the fittest guy is leading the group. It's the program is not meant for the middle or the lower tier guy it's meant for the top high end and we're trying for high end success. And so that really allowed me, I feel like to see how great I could be, or if I was great. And I think you find that out pretty quickly in, in Jerry's system. So I think, you know, the kind of the pinnacle for me was like making that world indoor team and, and mixing it up with the best guys in the world and, and getting a medal at a, a global championship, albeit in indoors, which, you know, has, it's, it's not an outdoor world championship. It's not the Olympics but you still have to race the best in the world. And so I learned that I could do that. And that was really cool. And I think, you know, Jerry gave me that opportunity for sure. Yeah, definitely. And that was, that was a 
I actually watched the race again a couple of days ago. That's an awesome race to watch. And what I love about indoors is that it is so tactical. And so even if some may argue that, you know, not all the best competitions there, whatever it is, I think it still is uh, telling on your race savviness, your, your tactics and being able to position and, and uh, have a huge kick at the end of the day to, to be able to secure something like that. So, um, so no, I don't, I don't uh, think that that's any lower on the <laughs> total yeah. pull of success than, than any other worlds. So very cool. Yeah. Speaking of speaking of your your big kick, I guess like what what's the planning around? You know, you're you're going to a group prim- primarily known for more longer distance events. Um, what, what's your strategy around like really keeping your, your that in your toolbox, your your speed, your kick, everything like that? So so every coach I've had now, Ben included, this being Coach Geiger at NC State, Jerry, and now Ben, they all have that same philosophy of you can only show off your speed if you're strong. All the training is about is, is maintaining and building strength. And a lot of that speed is very natural talent. Like you can't teach speed, um, even though it is sometimes the most lethal, important thing to have in that last lap. You really can't coach it. You can touch on it every now and then. Um, but it's really about that strength work and that aerobic development. So that is really not too different. Ben and Jerry are probably in complete agreement on that. Um, what will be interesting, you know, I would say Jerry is like very much, he's figured out the 5k, like that's what he does. Ben has very much figured out the marathon and that's what he does. So I, I feel like I'm joining a group that understands the marathon. So I think I I've really been, I'm taking on the role of like, I want this to, I want to build a track program here as well. I want to run really fast in the mile to prove that this group can do it from mile to marathon. Like that's my goal here. Yeah. So this coming season, then Olympics is the 5k going to continue to be your main event for, for this year? Yeah, I think the 5k is definitely, you know, my, my a event, but I, I love the mile. I love running the 1500. I would love to get all those opportunities to see like how fast I can run a mile in these, in these Hoka spikes. Like that's a huge thing that I'm taking on personally. Um, but I think at the championships always, you know, 5k will be my a event. But it's interesting, the 5K, the whole 5K happens before the entire 1500 at the trials. So I, I am not taking that off the board here. Right, right. Yeah, might as well might as well shoot a couple shots and see which ones land. So yep. I like that. And then longer term, I know you've mentioned that you you still see a long career ahead of you, multiple Olympic games, et cetera. Is, um, do you foresee yourself bumping up in distance down the line or for now just really focused on maintaining the speed, the 1500 5k and, and then worry about the future in the future. Yeah. I I feel that I'm going to be a 1500 5k for sure this year and next year. And really you can only take this sport in you one, maybe two year increments, and then you just keep adjusting on the fly. But I I just love being a professional athlete so much. And I, I love the sport and I love being an athlete that I can't imagine myself retiring early. I see myself trying to take this thing as long as I can go. And, um, you know, through this whole process, I've talked to coaches where I've told them, like, I, w- I want to be around for 2028. Like the Olympics is in L.A. Even that trials, I feel like is going to be a big deal. I want to be competitive at that 2028 trials. And a few people have laughed at me when they hear that. They're like, you know, you're going to be 38 then. I'm like, yeah, I know. But I don't feel old right now. So I, think I would love to. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, I think more and more we're seeing a ton of success in, in folks that are in their upper 30s, even 40. I mean, yeah. Legat, Meb, uh, pretty much all the women that are at the top of the game right now in America, all all upper 30s. So, I, 
yeah, I don't think that that's a long shot at all. If you can stay healthy and just keep piling and training, uh, yeah, no, no telling where you'll be able to get to with another 10 years of aerobic base under you. So exactly. I mean, it's not going to be easy. You have to be smart. It has to be calculated. You have to take care of your body. So all those things play into longevity. So I'll, I'll be trying to do those things. Love it. Love it. Um, we have a couple listener questions here that we want to make sure we get to. Um, some of them are kind of funny, I guess. So first one here, does Bowerman Track Club participate in a bender season after the championship season? I would say that there's definitely not any um, like binge drinking benders going on. It just it, there's no one on the team that actually there are a few on the team that had that personality. But as, as a, a general rule, it's like we're very moderate. You know, we like to have our beers and our, a lot of us have like wine club memberships because Oregon wine country is like so awesome. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we, we definitely take that off season time to, you know, have, have a Halloween party, have Christmas parties, new years, uh, go out to wine country a ton, take advantage of all the awesome breweries, um, in Portland, like September is really our time to shine and go and go out and, and get as wild as we can get. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of, of Portland, another listener question, uh, what will you miss most about Bowerman and Portland? Definitely the people. That's what I'll miss most about Bowerman. My, my teammates, coaches, the people that I got to work with on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, yeah, like I said at the beginning, lifelong friends. Um, it's going to be hard not seeing those guys every day, not going to camp with them. That, that, that it's still hard. It's going to be hard, I think. Um, but I'm just taking that one day by day. So really I'm going to miss the people a lot. Yeah, well, once, once you find a, a home in Flagstaff, you'll hopefully be able to, uh, see them every now and then when they go there for altitude. Yeah. Oh, I know already in first week, they're all texting me. When can we see you? When can we run with you? I'm like, yo, I've got my own thing here. I've got to figure this out. <laughs> yeah. I got to meet the new people too. <laughs> yeah. Um, curious on your training. So, uh, as far as like other compared to other 5k runners, I guess within Bowerman and outside, would you consider yourself more of a lower mileage, more intensity guy? Are you kind of a high mileage guy average? Um, any insights for our listeners kind of in how, how the overall volume plays a role into it and what you, what you really focused on and will focus on, um, for your training? Yeah, that's been a, a bit of a transformation for me in college. I like I love getting as much mileage as I could possibly get. And I feel like that was very much a trend of the times. Um, you had got when I was in college, like Chris Derrick, Lupus Skadra, German Fernandez, like it was all about getting big mileage. And then you saw that to its extreme with like Cam Levins, yep. who is massive mileage and was so fast on the track. So I, that influenced me heavily where I was in college logging like hundred plus miles by my senior and my fifth year. I think, at one point I put like three straight one tens together with track training. So like I, I was a mileage hound. I loved it. And so I brought that same feeling to Jerry where I was like, I'm just going to get the most mileage as I can. And just totally overtrained had like destroyed my system for a year. Um, couldn't even do the workouts really. And was totally overtrained. So I had to go in a major adjustment and came down to more of like a, a moderate mileage person. Yeah. Like the sweet spot for me is like 87 miles a week doing Jerry's training that ended up being what worked really well for me. And so I, I kind of have been doing that for many, many years now. So I'm definitely a, a moderate, consistent mileage guy and, and get the work in. 
What's, uh, you know, going from like transitioning between uh, your mileage load, dealing with injury, like what's your mindset to kind of keep you, you know, tethered to earth and like, what's your rock to kind of hold on to? In terms of training? Yeah. It, it would definitely feeling that, feeling that pop in speed workouts. Um, yeah, it all comes back to speed. If I feel fast and strong and I feel like I'm popping off the track, I, I feel like I can do anything. I can hang in there in a 5k and if I've got a kick, I'll, I'll be there. So yeah, it always, my rock is, is speed work. If I'm feeling fast and strong, then yeah, I'm ready to roll. Would love to hear how, um, how you felt, you know, making the transition and kind of what caught your attention most about Ben, uh, as a, as a coach to take over from, from Jerry for you. Yeah. I mean, Ben has a, a ton of good energy and he seems like he's a, he really loves the sport. Like he, he's almost on the border of like, now I wouldn't say he's a running nerd, but he's very, he's very into it. He loves it. Um, already I can tell just being here one, one week, he's very hands-on. He's like met, he's met us for every practice. Uh, he has each day planned out, um, you know, down all the way down to the doubles. He's got everything under control. He, yeah, he's really got it figured out in terms of, um, an operational standpoint. And so, we've only had one talk about 5k training as well. And we kind of went over his, his plan. I was like, yeah, this looks, this is going to work. This looks great. Uh, so I was really happy that, you know, I, I didn't get sent like a marathon training log. You know, he definitely understands the intensity required to be good in the 5k and the, and the 1500. So he's definitely done his, yeah, done his homework on uh, the middle distance events. Has he, uh, have you guys talked at all about um, like, as far as training partners go, um, how, you know, cause really you're, you're the only one at this middle distance. Like, what are you looking at in terms of, uh, pacing opportunities? Like who's going to really be there to help you out? Yeah, I would say I'm definitely the only 1500 5k guy. Um, but Matthew Baxter and Tyler day are definitely going to be like my, my track training partners. And then, um, Nick Hogger and Rory Linkletter are going to be trying to come back and, and, work on their 10 K ability for this summer as well. So we've got a nice group of, you know, strength is going to be taken care of here. I I'm going to be able to just sit back and handle strength work and we'll see how speed goes. I don't think anyone actually knows what's going to happen when we start to do like speed work. I think we're just going to let it happen and we'll see how fast some of these guys are. Yeah, definitely. Have you noticed any difference so far in, between Jerry and Ben and just the, I guess how um, hands on or hands off they are. Is it about the same level of you know prescription day to day on on the running and the ancillary activities and and diet or anything else that plays into it? Are they similar in that regard, or is one much more hands on than the other? Jerry is much more hands off. He you know Jerry writes the workouts. He he expects you to show up to the workouts with your A game, and that's pretty much the only time you'll you'll see and, and talk with him. And he lets you completely figure out the whole rest of the training cycle, whatever works for you, whatever you want, like everything. And okay. we're talking strengthening, um, PT work, doubles, mileage, what time you run, where you run, it's all up to you. And Ben has taken on to himself to where I don't think about any of that. It's all plotted out every single day, where, when, what is all plotted out. So that that's great. And, and especially in a big transition time, like like now I can just look, okay, Monday, I'm doing this and this, and here's where I'm going. And I just show up and train because I got all this other personal stuff to figure out. So yeah, Ben's taking a huge weight off my shoulders where he's, he's got every detail 
figured out for me. And I, I do appreciate that a lot. Yeah. And were you looking at any other brands and or coaches groups in, in this decision? Yeah, it, I did open it up to everyone. I was like, okay, I'm going full-blown free agent here. I'm talking to everyone. I'm seeing what the landscape is. Because as I, I was with Jerry and, and Bowerman and Nike for so long, I, had, I didn't even know what was going on out there. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was super cool talking to other coaches. I mean, all the coaches in this sport are just fantastic. Like, I, I truly believe that's the best people are the coaches. Um, so it was awesome talking to them. Um, but yeah, things just did not work out with any other company outside of, you know, of Hoka, like that was the one that felt really right. Um, in comparison to all the other ones. Awesome. And is, uh, is your girlfriend going to be able to come down and, and join you or any plans there yet? Or just, uh, that's a, that's a future decision to be made, man. We're, we're just making it work for now. She's still in Portland. Um, she's got all of her commitment. She's very committed and loyal, just like me. She's got all of that going on in Portland. Um, but she's, She's going to be driving my car down here in a, in a couple of days. So I, I'll see her soon enough. And hopefully I'll, I'll just keep her here and she'll never leave. <laughs> we'll see. So is, is she just drowning in all of your old Nike gear? Oh, man. She's taking it on herself to uh, divvy those up in, in a million different ways. I was like, just box it all up and take it to every high school in Portland. Like, I just give it away for free. That's what I want you to do. So. But there's a couple like really nice things that she's you know putting up out there. I don't know, I don't know where, but they're out there. That's awesome. Do, do you know if um, uh, Naz has any plans to add additional athletes in the coming month or two? Um, I, I know I actually listened to a podcast with Ben Rosario a month or two ago, and and he was talking about how there was a big transition, and he actually felt like the way that. Naz and Hoka's relationship was set up now, it was easier for him to sign athletes and have budget and all of that. Um, and so I was just curious if there was any plans to even grow the, grow the team further. I, I certainly hope so. I, I haven't talked specifics with Ben yet, but I think yet yeah, every year he wants to add like a very talented male and female athlete every year. Um, going after the top college kids is definitely a priority. And I think, you know, just like his training, he, he has every detail figured out of how he wants to recruit athletes who he's looking for. Um, and yeah, he, he's going for the best kids in the country. There's no doubt about that. Um, and yeah, I'm really excited to help in that process. Cause yeah, more, more good training partners on the track. Yeah. Let's, let's, you know, bring it on. Cause I'll be a great teammate for them. I've never been intimidated by bringing on, you know, someone who's really talented and young and hungry. Like, I think that's great. Yeah. Do you think uh, like Ben has uh, a similar or a different coaching philosophy to to Jerry and, and Bowerman so, uh, sort of around like the not quite dog eat dog, but really like letting I think in an earlier podcast, you described it as like focusing on the front of the train, pulling the middle and the back. Do you think like as you hope to expand in the middle distance and, and lower uh, distance events like that, it'll be similar to that or, or are there any differences in coaching philosophy? Well, I think they both believe in the the power of the team. So I think everything is, there is a group train moving forward. But I, I can tell pretty early on, Ben is uh, thinking about each individual athlete's plan and needs uh, a lot more than maybe Jerry vocalized to me, at least. Maybe he does. Um, yeah. yeah, but Jerry's a huge believer in just the train as one unit. And I think Ben wants everyone to be able to achieve their own individual training goals as together as they can. Love it. What's the next racing opportunity that you have? Do you have anything on the calendar that to look forward to at this point? 
I mean, you know, things seem to get canceled all the time. True. Um, <laughs> so everything is written down in pencil and everything has a plan B and a plan C. Yeah. Um, but we're hearing rumors that um, Boston Indoor Games is going to happen. Um, I would love to hop in that as like my first my first opener there. Um, not sure on event yet, but it would be kind of like a tune up kind of thing. Definitely. And then it, it sounds like the, this big Texas qualifier in Austin is going to be really high quality. Would love to put together a really good 5k there. So th those are my two written down in, in pencil for now. Perfect. Uh, and looking back, what accomplishment, um, whether it was a single race or a, a placing at a championship, what's what accomplishment do you look back on as being your most proud of so far in your career? Hopefully better, better accomplishments to come, but what are you most proud of so far? Yeah, I mean, I guess I would have to say that that silver medal at, at World Indoors, it just had everything. It was in Portland. Um, the, the stadium was packed. There was so much energy. It felt like a world championship because I've been to several um, outdoor world championships as well. And this had every bit of the intensity that those had. It felt like a world championship. Um, and, you know, coming out with a medal there. And I think at the time that was the on the men's side, the first Bowerman men's medal we had, like very quietly, the first medal. Um, and we all knew more was to come. We knew Evan was going to medal that year in the Olympics. So I kind of beat him to it there. Yeah. <laughs> that was just a special moment because it was just more than a special moment for me. It was a big changing of the turning of the tide for us, I feel like, because we've had you know so many medals since then. For sure. For sure. And especially in, in that race, you know, with, with Mohammed in there as well, and you obviously beating him there and then seeing him run 1247 in the past year. Uh, I guess, what is that in your mind then? Do you, do you feel like I, I can definitely run that fast having trained with Mo and being in those workouts with him in the past? Uh, is that something that's on your mind or are you really more focused on the, the placing versus the time? Well, I can, I can tell you from pacing 2k, of that race where Mo ran 12:47, that I cannot run 12:47 right now. <laughs> <laughs> I I yeah. can confidently say that I I'm gonna be real with you guys there. 12:47 <laughs> is not in the cards right now. Um, but going way back, I'm not sure what how Mo feels about it, but I really feel like um, like I I almost took him under under my wing a little bit. Not in more, not like a big brother way, but uh, Mo and I just became really good friends when he joined the group and we trained really well together. And I've just seen his, his progression has been so steady and so incredible. I take a lot of pride in being like the first one when he joined the group his first year to like almost like help take care of him, bring him along. And we just became such great friends. So it's been so cool to see that he's, he's, he's just one of the best runners in the world now. And it's just so cool to see that. Yeah. Do, do you have a, um, and I don't know if we can call it this, but do you have a sleeper pick of, of BTC knowing, knowing all those guys and girls on who will have just a, a banner 2021 season? Is there anyone that maybe isn't getting the attention that you think they should, and they're just going to break out this year? I, I think Sean McGordy's incredible. He's, he's truly, he has every tool to be a great distance runner at pretty much whatever event he chooses. He can, he can choose what he wants to be great at. So I think Sean's going to, Sean's going to be special. Awesome. Awesome. Love it. Cool. Uh, should we get into some closing questions? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So we've got some, just some closing questions, uh, kind of all over the place, but feel free to answer one word if you want, uh, explain your answer if you would like, uh, it's kind of open-ended. So okay. for, first one, we'll, we'll start with some, uh, some softballs, some, some fun ones. The favorite place uh, you've ever lived? 
Raleigh, North Carolina. Yeah, okay. that that's home. That's home for me. Staying true to home. Okay, Definitely. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then favorite place you've traveled in your career? Oh man, I love Switzerland. Yeah. Zurich, Switzerland is probably like just the coolest, nicest place I've ever been. I'd love to live there, honestly. Yeah, I I think Switzerland's probably a pretty common common choice. I've been there as well. Absolutely love it. And then the pros all go into to same Ritz, you know, every year in the Europe tour. Yeah, the pictures from that are incredible. And I just, <laughs> I, just want, I would want, I would love to live there as well. It's pretty expensive, yeah. but would love to live there. <laughs> yeah. Um, favorite alcoholic beverage. Hmm. I like um, a good Soko Blosser. That's that's the winery I I'm a, a member of. I, any of their Pinots that works for me. So so more of a wine guy than a beer guy. That's been very recent, but yeah, right now I would say I'm more more wine than, than beer. I can give you my favorite beer though. Sure, let's hear oh, it. Yeah, the Base Camp IPA in Portland, Oregon. That's that's the go to. All right, we'll put it on our list. Yeah, we'll, we'll get some. Okay. Yeah, we'll we'll pick some up. Uh, favorite genre of music and or artists that you're currently listening to? Man, I'm I'm very much like I'm not super into music, so I I'm very much like I'll just turn on the radio and listen to whatever's on the radio. But uh, I do really like country music, happy, upbeat country music. It just hits the spot for me. Yeah, we're we're Midwest boys, and uh, yeah, that's definitely the more popular popular genre, um, at least where I grew up and oh, yeah. and stuff. Versus the coasts. Um, less, less, uh, popular, but less, uh, I guess North Carolina is still, still in that range or in that area where uh country music is, is pretty big. So, yeah, I just find happy country music so much more relatable than like any other genre of music. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what event do you look forward to most each year? Man, I love the Milrose games. Milrose. Yeah. Milrose is like such a fun event and you know, I would love to look forward to the global championship every year, but like, there's no guarantee that I will, I will be there, but like Milrose, I feel like I, I always have a, a spot on the Milrose line. And then, uh, next one is when, whenever you're searching your own name on Google, if you had your pick, what would your choice be for like the first thing that comes up when you search your name? Oh man, uh, probably my, the favorite picture of me all time. Uh, which is a really narcissistic thing to say, but like it's when I won uh, the U.S. championship in 2015. There's just this great picture of me, arms completely spread out, coming across the line. If it's just that picture, I feel like that's going to be great. Whoever searching Ryan will be happy with their search. <laughs> awesome. We'll have, to, we'll have to go find it and put, put it in the description. Yep, we'll do that. Uh, who's a runner or other mentor you look up to most or have looked up to most in the past? Oh man, that's a good one. Look up to, cause I, I'm not really like, I've never really looked up to anyone. If you know what I mean, I I've always sort of looked more like compared myself to yeah. people's journeys. Uh, yeah. I'm not really a look up to guy. Uh, very early. I, I looked at Bernard Lagat as like, Oh yeah, he's, he's the best. I, I need to chase him. And, you know, it was really surreal when I ended up getting to start racing him some, yeah. yeah, that was super cool. So yeah, I would say from the beginning, Bernard. And then when I joined Bowerman, I, I really did try and follow Evan's lead. I think that was someone I really tried to to follow. Uh, if you could be a, a pro in any sport besides running, which sport would it be? Mm, great question. And we, we've had many debates about this. Probably NBA. Yeah, I think NBA is the best. You can be a star. 
it's just super fun. You know, it's not the wear. It's not like football, like you're getting knocked out over the middle. So yeah, yeah, yeah NBA for sure. <laughs> All right, here's an abstract one for you. Um, how many holes does a straw have? Uh, two, two in my mind. <laughs> I, like I like that. that. I like <laughs> that. Let's just put that uh, as the explanation. That's awesome. Perfect. <laughs> uh the the best party or celebration uh like post-race event that you've been to oh man that's a good one so actually low-key the morton games in, in dublin ireland has a has a really cool setup um you go around it's like connected to the track and you just got like unlimited guinness to drink i thought that was super cool <laughs> that's fun i would have to learn to like guinness but yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right you you have one day left to live and money is no object. How would you spend your last day? Dang, that's tough. <laughs> I would just spend it with my girlfriend, Emily. And I would, I would literally just ask her, what, what do you want to do today? What we have unlimited money. We got one day. What do you want to do? And I would do whatever she, she wanted. Honestly, I'd follow her lead on that one. That's good. Very wholesome. We, yeah, we've had kind of a split in our guests on how they answer that one, whether it's just spend time with family or like, I'm going to go skydiving, I'm going to go bungee <laughs> jumping, I'm going to do all these crazy things. So yep. yeah. Um, one more for you. Have you ever done a beer mile? No, no. Honestly, I don't even think I could drink four beers in like five minutes. <laughs> so I, it's not going to go well. Uh, but no, I've never done one. Got it. Got it. Any, any interest in trying or ha have you ever seen like any other teammates do it or any like speculation on who would be good at it amongst pro runners? Is there anyone out there that would be, you think really good at it? I've always felt like Pat Casey would be uh, the, the greatest beer miler of all time if he committed to it. So uh, hopefully Pat can hear this and, and, and dedicate his life to that. Cause I think he would be like number one all time. Uh, but no one I've ever trained with has ever, even giving it a try because they all feel the same way of like, I couldn't even do it. Couldn't even keep four beers down. I would love to, it would be so cool to do like a two month training block strictly for the beer mile though, you know, up my beer mileage, uh, just work on nothing but speed. That'd be super, that'd be really fun. But I, I, I don't think I've got it in me, man. I don't think I can do it. I mean, so what, what does it take to get you to do this two month training block for it? You know, post Olympics, what, what do we have to do to, <laughs> to get you to go for it? <laughs> oh God. I mean, yeah. Drink a lot more beer. I need to drink way more beer. Like my, I'm a low mileage beer guy. You know, I don't have the beer strength for this. You have to um, up your uh, beer intensity then. Yes. Yeah. Like how do you, I mean, have you guys trained for the beer mile? Are you out there doing like tempo runs slamming like eight beers or something? <laughs> yeah. I don't think we like, personally, I've never done a mix of like training for the drinking and running at the same time. Yeah. Cause usually it's just like you chug a water bottle like back and forth and that's like your chugging practice. And then you just, you know, get fast on the track and then yeah. mix the two. Yeah. I mean, you already have the speed on the track part figured out. So you just got to maintain whatever, you know, the speed that you have. I think it's really just, uh, you know, being by your kitchen sink and just slamming the equivalent in water, you know, frequently to get your stomach used to it, to get your, your mouth used to, to drinking that fast and all of that. So I don't know. I think that's really the main part of the training, but we're, we've been, we've been speculating, like we'd love to see who would, who would be the fastest like pro runner at the beer mile and whether they would just crush anyone who is a beer miler. Um, 
and because they're in theory they could uh you could if you you know you're running the 350 mile and and versus like i don't know someone like me who can only run like 410 to 415 so in theory you could you could crush me and take down beer milers but it's kind of a debate that i, I would love to see play out and see and solve and, and know who's who in the pro running world could absolutely crush the world record in it I mean, you gotta think Lopez could just do it. Yeah, yeah. That's what, like, that's what Carissa Carissa told us as well. She she thought Lopez could could smash it. Yeah, like no training required. If you just if he just committed to if he wanted to do it, I feel like he could just like break the world record tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, that's he, he's a beast. So yeah. I yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll have to yeah, Ryan. We'll still have to keep your name on the the list uh, for this potential um, Fifth Ave competitor event. Yeah, yeah. When you when you talk to Chris, uh, he probably won't bring it up, Chris Chris Chavez. But uh, we when we talked to him, we were um, contemplating throwing out a a beer mile event post like Fifth Ave Mile in the fall and putting some big prize money out there and seeing which pro could could take down the rest uh, in the beer mile and, and take home some money. So so we'll see. We'll keep your name in there just in case you decide you want to go for it. <laughs> I mean, I'm in a whole different system now. I I can race. <laughs> maybe I, maybe I can come to this beer mile, but man, I'm, I'm not too optimistic about it. You guys are gonna have to be okay with me. Like completely dropping out at uh, 1200 after the, after the second beer. Hey, we'll probably pay a, a appearance fees. So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do an appearance fee and we'll do a, you know, if you're leading at the 800 meter mark or something and we'll, and then you can just quit after that. <laughs> yes. Yes. If we could get an 800, whoever's leading an 800 time bonus, that, that would be nice. That'd be nice. Yeah. Crush, crush the half beer mile. I like it. I yeah. Like it. Yeah. One question to close out. So when, when we're coming to Flagstaff, do you have like, what's the number one or like top two runs places to run that we should do? And then also do you have like a top one or two places to eat that we got to hit up when we're in town? Well, yeah. I mean, the very first thing you're going to do is I'm going to pick you up from the airport and we're going to drive directly to proper, which is like a deli sandwich shop. It is the, the best, like really high end meat, high end deli great sandwiches so good um yeah we're gonna go right there now in terms of run there's so many there's actually not even one that stands out as my favorite run yet because it's all really fantastic that you're really putting on me in, on the in the spot on that <laughs> one because i i don't know there's not like one clear favorite to me um it's just incredible there's so many dirt roads so much good weather um i guess like woody mountain road is kind of like a famous one like that's the most famous road um that's probably where you would want to start yeah flagstaff really has everything on the spectrum you can run on roads if you want you can run on dirt roads you can run on trails uh bike paths so it's i guess a lot of it does play into just the preference on on what you're going for on a given day um what i guess which of those do you find yourself enjoying the most are you are you a trail guy are you a straight up road guy what's your uh preference kind of on a day-to-day oh i definitely like the dirt road like dirt kind road. of a, a wide dirt road is like the dream for me. That's I'll always go towards that every time. Yeah, I miss those. Not not too many dirt roads in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, we're we are all no. concrete and no hills in Chicago, and it's it's not fun. But it, it there for being a big city, it's a it's a pretty good place to run. Um, but but yeah, no, definitely that's whenever I travel somewhere like a Flagstaff or Colorado or anything, it's always just give me as many trails and, and dirt paths as I can get in that time that I'm there and, and as many Hills as well. Just throw it all in at once. <laughs> yeah. You'll get plenty of that in flag. So yeah, you gotta let me know when y'all come out here. Sounds good. Sounds yeah, good. We'll do. I guess 
my last uh, my last question is: since you're staying with Scott, how many burritos does he make you eat per day? <laughs> so this is funny. We were actually just talking about this, where the, the guys were like, "Ryan, you might like burritos more than Scott." I'm like, "No, no, no. I, I don't think I like burritos more than Scott, but I think I like Mexican food more than Scott." And I was telling him already this week, I've had I've had three Mexican meals already. It's because I, I just love Mexican food. Get, give it to me. Anyway, tacos, burritos, enchiladas. I love it all. So actually, yeah, and, and Scott's actually on a little bit of a downtime right now. So I haven't even seen him. Um, but when when he gets here, we're going to go burrito hunting together. We're going to find the best one. Yeah, you'll have, you'll have to let us know and we'll, uh, we'll go hit up the same joint. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll throw my favorite ones up on Instagram that I – food eats first now, you know. Yeah, I, I think between between you and Scott, uh, if you came out with like a here's the top ten list in Flagstaff oh. in priority order, I think a lot of people would would really you know get behind that and say, oh yeah, these are two experts. They know what they're talking about. <laughs> so like this is the definitive order for runners in uh, in Flagstaff. So um, yeah, so, people yeah. have to work on that. I'll work on that with him. There we go. There we go. Plug that. It'll it'll definitely go big in the running world. <laughs> oh for sure. All right. Cool. <laughs> awesome. Thanks a bunch for joining, Ryan. Uh, best of luck in your your transition. Hope you enjoy flag. Hope you have some good training this winter. And we're definitely excited to watch what you can do this spring and summer. Um, keep crushing it, man. Thanks, guys. I'll do my best. And there you have it, our interview with Ryan Hill, previously of Nike Bowerman Track Club, now of Hoka, Northern Arizona Elite. Uh, it was great going behind the scenes a little bit and what played into that decision to switch brands, switch coaches, switch training groups. Uh, and we're definitely rooting for him in 2021. He had a you know tough season in 2019 with the Achilles injury. 2020, everyone had a tough season without any racing other than really some time trials here and there. So I think that 2021 is going to be a big breakout season for him. He's going to be back, uh, back in full force, ready to PR, ready to race well on the championship stage. So rooting for you, Ryan. We're going to check out some Mexican spots in Flagstaff. Once you let us know what that top 10 list is, we're looking forward to that. And uh, keep rolling, keep crushing, buddy. All right, and if you're still with us, you already know what's about to happen. Chris and I are going to review this episode's beer. Uh, this is coming at you from 21st Amendment Brewery. This specific beer is their Blood Orange IPA, which is 7% ABV and 70 IBU. I think that's that's a lot. I don't really know too much about IBUs. <laughs> that's a little bit higher on the scale, definitely, as, as most IPAs are. Um, but yeah, I... Going into this, I, this is the first time I've ever tried this beer, uh, was today on this episode, and I'm always a little hesitant on beers that are flavored a certain way. Like whenever I see like a peanut butter chocolate stout on the shelf, at first glance, I'm like, oh, that sounds so good. And then I'm like, ah, yeah. I don't know, because usually it kind of, that little hint of flavor just ruins the beer. Especially honestly. more on like on the heavier or like more like higher alcoholic beers. Exactly. Uh, you, can, you can vary, you can go wrong real quick with a taste of orange or whatever it is. Yeah, but on this one it really works. And I don't know if it's because it's the orange flavoring and I know we were a little partial to the orange flavoring because of Blue Moon, for example. You know, we love to drink that for, you know, the beer mile as well as just 
for for funsies uh <laughs> but yeah no this blood orange is it hits well it's it's the right amount of fruity flavor that makes it more drinkable than it would be if it was just a straight up ipa i think yeah definitely and especially like out of a can i feel like i prefer some ipas out of can like uh anti-hero for sure out of a can versus bottle or glass this i i would say i'd prefer it in a glass i think that's how i had it the the last time that i drank it but still in a can i'd give it an eight on the taste and the drinkability for an ipa like that's got to be the x factor not many ipas make it past like a five in drinkability but i'd I'd give this one a solid seven yeah i i think i'm with you i don't know if i would really differ much at all from those ratings and then the x factor too uh you know the graphic design on this can it just looks like it's going to taste good you know you have a nice orange can with some cool graphics on a blood orange ipa that's x factor for me i'm like if i see this on the shelf i'm like yeah i'm gonna, yeah, I'm but, gonna try that yeah whoever, they need to pay their uh well hopefully they pay their graphic designer or designers appropriately if not they need to raise um <laughs> yeah a lot of their beer has like these uh like historical monuments uh, across the u.s yep. like uh super cool illustrations um, yeah, we'll put the link in the description. Go check out their their website, and if they're in a alcohol sh- store near you, go pick them up because I think all of their beers taste pretty darn good. Yeah, they are pretty good. They have the watermelon one as well, another good uh, fruity flavored beer where they they do it right with adding in the flavor. So Definitely. let us know if you have a specific beer you think we should try in future episodes. We're kind of just randomly going with stuff going to ye old binnies and uh picking something that that sounds good so yeah would love your suggestions uh also if you do us the honor and subscribe like the video comment on the video if you want to be entered in the giveaway leave us a review on uh apple podcasts hopefully five stars um let us know what you like and don't like about the show and we'll keep evolving with you we love the feedback and the communication with the listeners so we appreciate y'all uh, if you like this episode, I know it was only about 45 minutes, depending on uh, editing. But if you like the shorter format, uh, let us know. You know, we're down to record however long, however long we can keep uh, pro athletes, you know, on the line. You know, we could we could break some laws and have athletes on the line for like eight hours, but we might get arrested afterwards. So <laughs> anything, anything for the fans. Let us know what you prefer in the comments. Yeah, we'll always keep the guests on as long as they're willing to have us. And most of them so far have been, you know, very kind about giving us an hour and a half, even two hours of their time. So, yeah, I mean, if it comes down to us locking them in the room for eight hours and doing a long, long, long form uh, podcast, yeah. let us know if that's what you want. If you would prefer to see, uh, you know, a, a Ryan Hill part one, part two, part three, part four, <laughs> we could we could do it, uh, you know. So we know he lives with Scott, so that it narrows it down so we can abduct him and probably shouldn't. Exactly, do that exactly. <laughs> So yeah, let it, let us know your your thoughts on the ideal length, whether you're you're down for the longer interview or whether that bores you. Uh, always open to feedback. With that, we're gonna close out here. Adam and I are gonna sip the rest of these blood orange IPAs and enjoy the day. Hope everyone out there is staying safe. Have a great week. We'll talk soon. Stop squeaking this fucking chair. Yeah, I think I gave you the squeaky one. Yeah, this one's bad. Calm down, chair. I mean, Calm are we down, get chair. New chairs for we need new chairs. <laughs> How much? Yeah, can can we start an OnlyFans for new chairs? <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. That light is bright. I know. It's kind of dope, actually. It's like hopefully the, yeah, since my glasses fun. are really dirty, it's like yeah, like I'm driving in the middle of the night when Whoa. it's raining. Boy, okay.
What's up, fam? Welcome to the show. What's up, fam? <laughs> Why do you always question yourself? Just go with it. Yeah.